Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week, we'll be discussing a new topic or trend, so you can stay informed the easy way. Serena, what are we talking about this week? Our guest today is Maya, who is a Berlin-based musician and film composer. She is originally from Texas, and after a small stop off in New York City, Maya moved to Berlin in 2014. Welcome, Maya! Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we wanted to talk to you to like learn more about your experience as a trans woman, specifically given the current political climate, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of phrasing it. Yeah. <laughs> so you grew up in Texas. How does this influence your perception of gender and like identity, your identity and gender? Mm-hmm. Texas is a unique place. Very unique. Yeah, I mean, just to start off on like a bigger scale, like the USA, end of the 90s, early 2000s, the only example we had of, it, of any trans people was like Ace Ventura and um, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you know. It's I haven't like seen this, either of those. This is really stupid Jim Carrey movie where he's like a pet detective. So his love interest, who he's chasing the whole movie, I, I don't remember super well. I remember the very last scene, right, where... There's like a bunch of cops around, Jim Carrey's there, and somehow her pants come down, and it's very clear that everyone is very shocked at what they see, and that they that there's a penis there, right? And like, the reaction of all of these men is to literally vomit for like 20 seconds, like they're all just like constantly vomiting. So that's like one side, like this sort of, you know, like a trans people as disgusting freaks to be mm. the butt of a joke or whatever, and the other side is Buffalo Bill. This character from Silence of the Lambs, where the uh, you said you hadn't seen that, right? No, but I mean I know of it. It puts the lotion on the skin, you know. I've heard that, yeah, and I don't know what it means. It's just like basically one of the aside from Psycho, it's the archetypal film depiction of a trans woman as predator, uh, aggressor, as you know, a man in a dress who is going to hurt cis women and literally steal their skin like that's what he wants to do he's like a mass murderer anyway so like this is the cultural setting that we have in the united Mm -hmm. states when i was growing up these depictions it leaves you as like a kid or whatever growing up with the impression that it isn't it simply isn't possible or realistic or even Mm -hmm. within the realm of possibility to be a trans person. Mm -hmm. That's like something reserved for movies and punchlines. And it it didn't even seem possible to me. Mm -hmm. Like, and then you take, you go to Texas, right. And you multiply this by a thousand, right. Mm -hmm. Because I grew up in Austin, which is actually like quite a open-minded little enclave within the, the horribleness of Texas. But even so, like the high school I went to, it was, very mixed, but still extremely homophobic. And, you know, to be gay at that school was even not okay. Like, there were kids that I knew were gay, and I knew they would, they would never come out because it was horrible to be gay. And, like, you know, I am attracted to all different kinds of people, whatever. But when I figured this out in high school, and I was sitting in math class in 10th grade, and realized that I had started fantasizing about my male math teacher, like, yeah, Mr. Chang works out. Oh, yeah, Mr. Chang. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I was like, no, you can't be gay. You can't do that. No, stop it. Like, because of, I can't point to any one individual thing in Mm -hmm. the culture, but just this overwhelming cloud of homophobia within the culture. You know, there's religious trauma as well. There are a lot of kids with 
my parents are wonderful. They're great. But my extended family is very Baptist, very mm. evangelical. And I went to Jesus camp with in the summers and stuff. I think the ones I went to were quite tame, but still, like, I don't know if you've heard of Focus on the Family. No, but sounds homophobic. Basically, yeah. It's an institution <laughs> that produces, like, or at least back when I was growing up, they produced mostly radio content, and so we would listen to their tapes in the car. And, I mean, you know, long story short, like, I, I do have quite, like, intense religious trauma. Like, I sometimes get this super huge burst of anxiety where, like, oh, my God, I'm going to hell because I'm a transsexual. And I know that that's not true, but yeah. anyway, so this is, this is Texas. <laughs> Do you like believe in God? I don't know. I'd say I'm agnostic. Fair. I would say I prefer the take that if there is something out there, it's far too complex for us to mm. have any knowledge of it. So Interesting. What kind of like common misconceptions or things people don't really understand about trans people have you come across and like I guess maybe specifically relating to your upbringing and all the things you just mentioned about America and Texas and religion did you actually receive any like direct messages about being trans when you were younger like was there in religious context was there any sort of direct I think negativity? Like, yeah no I think like until you know the until Laverne Cox was on the cover of Time magazine or whatever like I think that everyone lumped in or most Americans lumped in being trans with being gay mm. you know it was all kind of under the same umbrella and if I had gone to my grandmother and said you know I'm a woman this is these are the kind of clothes I want or this is how I want you to refer to me etc she would, have, she would have gone to her pastor and been like my grandson's gay you know I, I don't I don't think again for me specifically and I know there are other people who like had the vocabulary when they were younger, but for me specifically, I, I didn't even have that vocabulary. Mm -hmm. I remember in college, an acquaintance of mine, like a friend of a friend, came out as trans, and it literally blew my mind. I remember my friend told me about this. They said, you know, X person is, is uh, trans. I was like, what? That's mm. a possibility. And that, like, was such a shock in, like, a good way. And, mm -hmm. like, this is something that is possible. So it, it took me, you know, being in New York City with people who are also, you know, trans to figure out that was even a possibility. So, like, the messaging that I got when I was a kid was more about being gay mm. because that's just the, the climate we were in in the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, especially among the older generations who probably mm. still didn't even know all that much about gay people. Mm -hmm. So in university, you sort of learned about the language through... Other people, was it a nurturing place? Did you sort of feel like the school or the environment you were in were nurturing, or was it more so the people? Well, so I would say I didn't have my own gender revelation until I came to Berlin, mm -hmm. actually. I think that it was just the, the moment and the timing for me to be ready for that, because, you know, you're 18 years old, you go to New York City, you go to college, and it's, like, really intense and overwhelming, but you're still that 18-year-old kid from Texas, you know? Yeah. And my first roommate was a guy from Florida who was an extreme misogynist and homophobe who used to, well, yeah, <laughs> he wasn't very nice. So, like, on one hand, I had this horrible example of misogyny and homophobia from him. But on the other hand, the school is really, like, very open-minded and very... There were a lot of queer kids there. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of... There were a lot of kids of color and stuff. So that was really good for me. But it didn't... I didn't quite have, like, that moment of realization for mm. myself yet. Just that, like, when I found out that this person tra was transitioning, I was like, this is not just something... From the movies this is something that actual people actually do and like 
I, I knew that already before in a certain intellectual sense, but I think it took knowing someone to mm-hmm. actually digest it somehow, maybe to get past all of the Christian messaging that, you know, you're inundated with in, mm-hmm. in that part of the, the country. It's a process like anything, right? So you need to take baby steps. Maybe New York was one step. Berlin was the next step. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. And so, yeah, you've mentioned, you mentioned before that like Berlin, correct me if I'm misremembering this wrong, you, you mentioned that like queer spaces and, and the clubbing scene in Berlin was like really vital and important for you on this journey. Um, would you mind talking a bit about these spaces and like what they mean to you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there was like, there are like two maybe kind of periods for me. One where I realized who I was. I was ashamed of it. I couldn't come out to anyone. I mean, really, like, I remember living in a vegay and put on the clothes that I wanted to wear, and I would wrap myself in a huge triple XL overcoat that went all the way down to my ankles and, like, you know, hide and, um, like, run out the door and hope that I didn't see it. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, they were really important for me in the beginning. So, yeah, the difference... I would say between like the Berlin club scene and the US club scene or like what I've experienced because I was never like of age, but I could sneak in a couple of times, I guess. You can go in alone here. You can stay alone and you, you can meet people or you can like do your own thing, whatever. And it's not a bad thing. It's actually like totally cool. Like everyone just dances and looks at the DJ or does their own thing and that's fine. And so I was really able to sort of explore my body and my relationship to my body and even my sexuality a little bit, like just through dancing and closing my eyes and just feeling. And that was something I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing in the spaces in the U.S., in most spaces in the U.S. Um, I think sort of the repetitiveness of techno also helps quite a bit. The trance-inducing kind of effects of it. I'm a huge lover of ambient music, and to me, techno really feels like ambient music with a beat. It's, it's all about the small world that you can get lured into, and that was very important for me. You know, going to some of the bigger clubs here, where you can just get lost in a sea of sweaty people, and you know, places that are designed for queer people. Um, maybe they aren't still for queer people, but they were designed for that way originally. But, like, in the end, a lot of the sort of bigger Berlin clubs are, like, hotness contests, fashion contests. People, once you get in, people can be, I don't know. It's It, it wasn't really quite my vibe after I actually came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, you know, I feel like there's been sort of, like, a, a whole new direction with queer clubbing in Berlin in the last few years with the... Um, Advent of Flinta spaces. Have you heard this Advent mm-hmm. of Flinta? And I just love that there's a, there are these spaces where I can go to where I know that everyone there is some someone who understands at least to a certain level my own experience, mm-hmm. you know. And there aren't going to be any creepy dudes there. Um, and those spaces, the smaller spaces, feel a lot more nurturing and community-based. And mm-hmm. they've been really helpful for me to, like, actually meet people and actually, like, you know, now that I've sort of found out who I am and come out and gone through this process of transitioning, like, I can actually sort of engage with the world in that way. Whereas before, it was more about maybe getting in a little bit of self-expression once a week, you know, mm-hmm. and like letting it all out and then going back home. Mm. Yeah. What sort of clubs did you go to? 
Yeah. I'm also a club newbie. But I don't know anything. <laughs> the like the the original. Ones? Yeah, the original ones. Um, like of course Bergheim. Yeah. Um, I, one of the one of the things I will give Bergheim because you know it is I am not really a fan of it anymore. But what I will say is like before I transitioned or before before I was going there presenting as a woman, I uh, almost never got in. But the second that I showed up presenting as myself they're like oh yeah come on in Mm -hmm. like in that way it is still very Mm -hmm. this is before the pandemic so i don't know if it still is like this i bet but like it was very affirming to just like know that i was gonna be able to get in there and Mm -hmm. have like a space that i could dance and be myself um and i went to sisyphus which is very not queer i would say it's Mm -hmm. very colorful and hippie and you know the bouncer is like a guy in a bunny suit or whatever which is quite cute i guess maybe that was easter weekend so i don't i don't, I don't remember this was years ago but i like Sisyphus. i like all the different rooms I like the outside stuff but like it definitely feels like the kind of people i encounter there are like yeah man you can be whatever you want man you look so great in that dress man you know like this kind of affirmation mm-hmm. from uh, a certain kind of cis a political hippie. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? This yes. like German apolitical hippie, like white people with dreadlocks kind of thing. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, yes. <laughs> and these balloon pants or whatever. Yep. Who are like, you know, I don't care whatever you do, but um so yeah, that was I feel like there's a weird fetidization of specifically Berkine where like everyone's like it's the hardest club to get into and I, I've always wondered like, is it the hardest club to get into because they don't want you in there? You know, I don't know, like, I feel like maybe there's this, like, misunderstanding of, like, what the space is, and I think it's really entered the mainstream sort of, like, narrative now as, like, Mm -hmm. the hip Berlin club. That's just my perception as someone who's in bed by 10 (laughs) p.m., which is why, I don't know, I've always felt like everyone talks about, yeah, I need to go to Berkheim, and I was like, I'm literally the last person that should be in Berkheim, because it'd be like someone brought their mom, you know, like, (laughs) this isn't my space, and I shouldn't be here. That's how I feel right now, just because... It's so, you know, it has this reputation as being a queer club, but when you go there and you walk in, you're seeing, like, the left side of the dance floor is, like, super hunky gay guys with their leather harnesses. Mm -hmm. The right side is straight cis supermodels from Sweden and their, you know, six-pack boyfriends with perfect hair and everything. It's like, it feels racist to me, and there are trans people that go there, but also it it feels very sort of, you know, whitewashed or whatever whatever the term is for not being its original vibe anymore. I think that's just maybe a, a, a continuous theme in Berlin, I feel. Like, I feel, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I Berlin's mm-hmm. history is very cool. And I think maybe the city has gone through these different phases, right? Because, you know, you had right before the rise of the uh, National Socialists, it was sort of, you know, like a haven in, in mm-hmm. um, Europe. And then, obviously... Yeah, <laughs> that happened, and obviously that was not allowed or, or tolerated, or, or I don't even know what the right word is. Berlin's built that back up, but I think that, like, I mean, rent prices in Berlin are through the roof. Yeah, and it's become more of like a, a I don't know, tech city. Yeah, I mean, this is happening with so many cities. It's uh, true. My hometown of Austin is the same way, right? <laughs> yeah, it exploded into this Silicon Valley esque mega city. But actually, it was over, like, 15 years, you know. So, and it also feels quite, like, 
all of the old kind of dirty, dingy places are gone, and all these new corporate places are here, craft beer and shit like that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> and, but in Berlin, I think there's a there's a stronger movement here to keep pushing for more local, small, community based spaces. Yeah. Like, the places I go to now, my favorite party is called Diconic, and it's <laughs> it's a great yeah, it's a great fun uh, <laughs> a flinta party and. They have like, I don't know, a couple hours of dancing and then they'll everyone will sit down on the dance floor cross legged and there'll be like a little community talk about, mm-hmm. you know, what's it like being uh, a woman in this industry or that industry or they'll screen a movie or you know, it's really quite cool and there's a sense of like community care and can you imagine that happening at Bergheim? No. no. <laughs> It's really cool. Uh, you know, there are other spaces like that. You like puns, so you'll like sophistry. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and there's a really nice little community of, you know, queers who make these nice spaces that are much more uh, much more fun to be a part of than to you mm. know, pretend that you're cool enough to be in Berkeley because I'm definitely not cool enough to actually be in there. <laughs> there is a weird, like, exclusivity to it, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, like, sucky. It's like, you know that head nod that guys give to each other? You know, like that? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when you get into Bergheim, there's like, you know, everyone's like, yeah, we're both dead. Like, yeah, you're so cool. It's like, ugh, it's kind of gross, but... I think there's a lot of fake progressiveness in Berlin. Definitely. I mean, like, the sort of apolitical uh, hippies, sort of, like the, the white dreadlocks kind of thing, that is everywhere, and it really bothers me. Hmm. You know, people who just don't see the need to even think about anything except for to be anti-atomic energy, because <laughs> that's such a German apolitical. Yeah, um, I'm political about this one thing. This way, and my mom has a name for them. She calls them the Ökos because she always complains about how like they'll be like for you know we need renewable energy, anti-atomic energy, but then drive a car from like 1950s that like makes yeah. the worst exhaust and like is <laughs> ruining. I think, honestly, I think one of the, like, not just Berlin, I think a really common misconception is that, that, like, Germany is this, like, super progressive place. So I feel like people don't realize how, like, behind. I mean, we were just talking about how, like, some bureaucracy in Germany still has to be done via fax. <laughs> yeah. But, like, what are some of the, like, obstacles and biases you, you have faced? Yeah, I mean, so, like, to start off, I definitely feel safer in Berlin than I think I would feel in any other major city in the world right now. I I was thinking about this, like, you know, I was mugged in Austin, and this is, Austin is a pretty, you know, dangerous place. Anywhere in the States is a pretty dangerous place, it seems to be. Uh, I I wouldn't be trans in England Mm. if you paid me $100,000, you know, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Can I ask why? Uh, Oh, the UK is just a hotbed of transphobia. It's the, I would say it's the origin of modern turf, you know, um, ideology. And not just J.K. Rowling, but the whole Mumsnet movement, the whole... What is the Mumsnet movement? <laughs> Mumsnet is a website for mums to talk to each other about, you know, being a mom. And, you know, I, I guess, like, to share information and just to have community, you know, but it turned into this really horrific hotbed of the the quote-unquote gender critical movement which is a nice way of saying that you don't think trans women are women Mm. and that you know you want to keep them out of women's shelters and women's spaces and you know the the uk is just just today i don't know if you saw this but just today in an interview rishi sunak was asked in an interview maybe it was just today or yesterday 
do you agree with the statement that 100% of women do not have penises? And, like, to see this as, an, as a headline in, you know, Guardian or whatever, it's like, what, what kind of fucked up... T- can I say fuck? Yeah, yeah, What kind of fucked up timeline do we live in where this is a question being asked of the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and he agrees with the statement? And he's like, yes, I agree with that. <laughs> I think it was because the leader of the opposition, the, the Labour Party leader, I can't remember his name, said something like 99.9% of women don't have penises. And I don't know the context of that. Maybe he was saying, like, there's so few trans people where we work, but I don't know. I don't want to be charitable or uncharitable to someone I don't know that much about. Mm-hmm. I'm still thinking about Jer- Jeremy Corbyn myself. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, so the UK is just a horrible place for trans people. I don't know if you heard about Scotland. They tried to make a self-ID law, and it passed, and they did months of research. They they, they very spent a very long time making it a very thorough, fair, good bill. And the UK government, the sort of overarching UK government for the first time, I think, ever in history, overrided the Scottish Parliament's decision. I actually really, really, really wanted to talk to you about International Women's Day. Oh, yeah. This is, has been on my mind for a while. How do you feel about International Women's Day? Because <laughs> Yeah, so every time it rolls around, I get very sad. Mm. Um, there are a lot of different areas in day-to-day life where I feel excluded from the category of womanhood. Mm. And International Women's Day is sort of highlights all of those. You know, in Germany, we have like a feministische Kampftag, which is great. And, but sort of the wider energy of International Women's Day is so girl boss, is so capitalism, is so white feminist, and is so pussy power. If you don't have a uterus, don't have an opinion, that kind of thing, which the original meaning behind that, I think, is great. Like, you know, men shouldn't dictate women's bodies. But, like, I don't have a uterus. But, you know, my fight for bodily autonomy is right in the same ballpark as a cis woman's fight for bodily autonomy and abortion rights. So, I don't know. You know, I, I it comes around, and I get sad, and I... That's kind of it. <laughs> I don't go to the uh, protests. I, I Maybe I will at some point. Mm. But... Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't know too much about because I know it has a much richer history in Germany than it does in the States. It's kind of a new thing in the States, honestly. Yes, it's been, oh my God, we did research on this for the podcast. It's been around for like almost a hundred years. Like it's, That's it, awesome. It has a really cool history, but I guess as all things over time with, you know, the commodification of, that capitalism tends to put on all things, it's really lost a lot of its meaning. Mm-hmm. I will have to say though, I was about to be like, I just went to a protest, like, and then I realized it was like three years ago. It was the one right before COVID, which yeah. thinking back now, I was like, holy shit, I was in this massive crowd of people in yeah. March 2020. I could have gotten COVID, like, back. Anyway, <laughs> I went to a very, I went to the very specific Flinta one, which wasn't like the oh, cool. mainstream one. And that was really cool. It was organized by because there's there's a very strong south american community here feminist community mm-hmm. it's um, like they're doing a really amazing work and i like even getting goosebumps even just talking about them uh the violence like the sexual violence yeah. faced against those women is i mean not even just women just like anyone who isn't a cis man yeah. is terrible and they're really fighting for i mean obviously not everyone the, the movement that I respect is really fighting for everyone. And mm. I, I really respect how organized they are and how passionate they are because a lot of the times I feel like this is something 
Random tangent. No, I love it. This is something that's really missing in, like, the German feminist movement. And and they have, like, you know, like, they have colors. You know, they all wear purple and they have chants that everyone knows. And so they were kind of leading this protest. And I was like, yeah, I wish I knew any Spanish. (laughs) So I could chant along. Anyway, long story short, I went to this protest and it was very much a feministische Kampftag. Very, like, very much focusing on refugee women. Very much focusing on anyone who identified as Mm non-binary like it was a really great protest there was like such a great sense of like camaraderie and and i was like if this was what international women's day was i'd be on tour yeah totally totally and really cool i i you have to invite me next time we go to that next year or if not, I'll, I'll at least, like, find that sounds like exactly the crowd I need to, like, hang out with. And now, how do you feel about Pride, actually? Because I sort of have very similar thoughts and feelings on Pride. Pride's even worse. Mm. I mean, it is so much more commodified. It is, it is, I think, in, like, different cities in America, like, Pride has, like, a sponsor. It's, like, Pride brought to you by Vsars. <laughs> There's this whole brouhaha about involving the police union in New York City's Pride. I think it was in New York City, and like, oh, is this the thing where they like said gay cops couldn't march in Pride? Something like that. I, or I, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to say because I don't remember exactly, but I mean, the fact that we even have to discuss whether cops should be involved at Pride, which started with trans women throwing bricks at cops, yeah, like black trans women throwing bricks at cops, like. It's it's ludicrous to me, and I hate how every company changes their Twitter profile picture to, like, a rainbow version. And then, behind the scenes, they're donating to Republicans, they're um, funding sweatshops, you know, they're doing all the bad things. And then, as soon as the month is over, they change it back. I, Pride, Pride is, is bunk. I mean, I just... I, a friend of mine goes every year, and I've also not made it. I don't know what it is with me in protest as well, but a friend of mine goes every year to Dyke March instead... And I've been meaning to go with her every year, just hasn't worked out. Is that the one in Neukölln? I don't know actually where exactly yeah. it takes place. There's Dyke March and there's also a Trans March, both of which are, are much, you know, it's just a group of people marching. And But I've also heard a lot, like, I've never been to, like, Christopher Street Day here, which is, like, the part thing in Berlin. And I've heard a lot of people say, like, a bunch of straight couples just go and, like, use it as a chance to, like, feel sexy and kiss and, like, make out. And, you know, it's not, that's not, that's not the vibe. I guess it's also really weird, especially, like, Again, I can only speak about Berlin, but you see like all of these like companies have floats. Are they called floats? Yeah, yeah trucks, floats. trucks, floats. And you're just like, that's cool. And 26 is here. Yeah. Although I will say, you know, as like a cultural thing where like in the all in one part of one time of the year, everyone gets together and celebrates and like, you know, marches for gay people. Like my mom, uh, they, my parents live in a small town outside of Austin and it's the kind of town where, like, when like when they move there, they're like, yeah, we're seeing, like, Trump parades and or the caravans of, like, trucks with the flags and stuff. And I was like, shit, that sounds kind of scary. But, like, they they have a pride parade there, too. And, like, my mom went and, like, marched in their little pride parade. And, cute! Um, it's really cute. And they have, like, T-shirts and stuff. And I think anything that's on a smaller scale like that is mm-hmm. just inherently going to be better. I mean, Visa's not going to sponsor some small town pride no. parade. And that's maybe for the better. It's a very lovely sign of solidarity. It is, yeah. Because I think on such a on a small level, I I definitely think it can have an impact, right? Because you don't know who's watching and who feels supported by yeah. just the visibility. On one hand, you know, International Women's Day, Pride. I don't like that we have to have a special day or a special month that we celebrate these people. Like, we should just have a society that does better, right? But you know, I'm just a naive. 
person who (laughs) just thinks that that's possible. But, uh, you know, uh, on on the other hand, the chance for people who are in the closet to maybe go out and be in a sea of people just like them, that, that is invaluable. So... I guess in an ideal world, we would just get rid of the floats, but, you know, they pay for the whatever. They pay for something, I guess. And I guess nothing is black and white, right? Like, you can say pride is all of these things, and it can still be good and serve a purpose to some extent. So I guess that's true for everything. But to me, as like an outsider looking on this, it just feels like specifically... Republican lawmakers, they like hone in on one thing, and then it's, I don't know how to explain it, like that they can like really sink their teeth into, you know, like they always seem to go for the most vulnerable group and they really build this, this is the, like it's a scapegoat for everything. You know, they did it with critical race theory. Yeah. Black Lives Matter. They continue this narrative all the time. So I saw a really interesting interview. Do you know Sean Fay? The writer, she's... Uh, I have her book. I haven't yeah. read it, but I have it. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah, she, in some, I, I, it was an interview or something that I saw recently. She was talking about how one thing that a lot of people don't think about is that, you know, gay people have had, have a history of gaining rights over the last few decades. Sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back, but there is a trajectory of gay rights. And we don't really have the same for trans rights. Trans people are still very, you know, quote unquote new, right? Like uh, 2013, we saw this sort of explosion mm-hmm. of uh, trans visibility in the media. And because there's a lack of like deep history in our fight for rights, I mean, of course, there are people like Marshall B. Johnson and others who have fought over the years, but it's not in the cultural, you know, milieu. I don't know what I don't know what that word I just tried to say was. It's not in the cultural zeitgeist. Is that yeah, the... zeitgeist? I guess. Yeah, it's not. It's not really in the zeitgeist. She was saying uh, Republicans see us as an easy target. First of all, we are fighting for rights, not to keep rights. Mm-hmm. You know, they can try and outlaw gay marriage, but it's already in a precedent. So that's number one. And number two is you know, transness and bodily autonomy in general. They are they go hand in hand. And they are a threat to the status quo. Mm. You know, capitalist society runs on people fulfilling their roles, doing their jobs, you know, women staying home, having the babies, taking care of them, men going to work. And once you challenge that you're given this category at the beginning of your life that you have to fulfill, I mean, of course, there's a difference between gender roles, like who does the work and who does the childcare, et cetera, et cetera. And the category of, you know, being a woman and being a man and challenging the integrity of, as they would see it, of these categories is a threat to the status quo, I think. So that's where all the passion comes from. You know, they're really easily able to rile up their voter base by just harping on this one thing. And yeah, the next thing I would say is trans women in particular are a really big threat to a lot of sort of fragile masculinity. Mm -hmm. Um, Sort of like if you accept that men are inherently better than women, then why would someone quote unquote born man as a man, why would they want to change their Mm -hmm. gender to being a woman? Or why would they consider themselves a woman when they were lucky? And this is uh, emasculating for society, I guess, in their eyes. This is a lot of why it's so easy for them to get people so outraged. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, just to sum it all up, they think we're icky. Mm. You know, they've seen these movies that we were talking about at the beginning, and they got the ick. You know, they they don't like us. They don't 
want us around their kids. You know, they think that we're going to create, they think that trans and gay people are created by, or are not created. They think, they think that they're cultivated when, you know, it's, it's, it's inherent to who we are. Mm. Um, it's really terrible. I think that like cis women, we have really failed our trans sisters in this case. Like it, it seems mind boggling to me that as, as like that we can't have solidarity as women. I know, I know. And I mean, this is one of the things that makes me saddest of all. This is, this is what I feel encapsulated in International Women's Day is this bioessentialism that is rampant among feminism today, I mean, mainstream feminism, you know. I think a lot, a lot of the reason why Republicans also harp so much on this is they see that there are a lot of centrist and maybe even left-leaning cis women who don't want to share a changing room with a trans woman, who don't want to be going to the bathroom with a trans woman and they can't investigate their own biases and you know maybe they'll vote for republicans because they they just don't like us and yeah it is it is really sad because you know as like as a binary trans woman myself you know as like not non-binary but, but someone who just i just i'm just a woman it hurts the most when i see like feminist pages on instagram that are like super on about period poverty and vulva power and not a single word about trans women and like i'm not saying that i don't think we should talk about vulva power and period poverty those are and will continue to be hard you know vulva power is not a problem it's something we should talk about but uh the period <laughs> poverty will be a problem for a very long time but the the exclusion is something that just hurts i don't, I don't know if it hurts but i feel very weird about all of these depictions of vulvas and I haven't been able to put my finger on why I mean I haven't really investigated it with myself I haven't sat down and thought about it yeah I don't really know where it comes from but like maybe it's like some sort of internalized misogyny haven't figured it out but I was at a farmer's market and I saw this woman and she was selling vulva candles mm -hmm. And I don't know, it felt, I don't know, it made me feel weird, and I don't know why. It makes me feel sad and weird and, like, excluded a bit. Like, yeah. you know, it is equating female power with genitals, yeah. with reproductive ability, which is sort of, I mean, maybe if it's not intended this way, but equating womanhood with reproductive ability is just as throws throw away from being uh, anti-abortion. Yeah. And I, and I mean, like, I, I assume these women, I'm hoping, have, like, really good intentions. I think so, too. Yeah. That, like, they're saying, hey, like, we've been, you know, persecuted because we have a vagina or a vulva. And, but at the same time, I don't know, it, as, a, as, a, as a cis woman, it feels very weird to be like, actually, I, I understand that I've been persecuted for having a vagina, but also it feels really weird to be minimalized to just this to be reduced to it. reduced that's yeah, the word i was exactly. looking for because <laughs> it's like actually there's a lot more to me than i don't know complicated feelings i feel exactly like there's more to me than my genitalia like right you know this focus on the genitals on both on the right of you know girls in florida aren't allowed to talk to each other about their periods anymore in school yeah it's a i think it's a way of making sure that they don't go get an abortion you know so. That goes hand in hand with general inspections to see if you're a trans girl or not trying to get on a sports team. You know, they do this to children. I think they're proposing doing it. I don't know if any any of those 
ideas have made it to law yet, but this is this is what they want to do. What the fuck is wrong with people? Sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't Jesus know. Christ. It's horrific. And, you know, this, this reduction of everyone to genitals is so... I, I just see Mitch McConnell's face. And I just see an old white guy's face who's like, yes, touch the chill. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, look at their... Make sure that they've got the right genitals. And it's so odd. And it bothers me so much. No one has a more punchable face than him. <laughs> and I'm not a violent person, nor have I ever punched anyone. Nor yeah. do I think I could. But I want to... This is heavy. And I, I must weigh really heavily on you. Do you, do you engage with this? It is like literally every day I look at my phone and there's a new bill, a new person calling for genocide of trans people, a new whatever. And it does weigh very heavily. It does affect my mental health. I know lots of my friends, it affects their mental health as well. I mean, every day there is messaging being thrown at you that you are not a woman, that I am a pedophile or that I am oh you haven't heard this about I haven't heard the pedophile no grooming groomers have you heard oh yes thing? I've heard of groomers like a groomer is like a, a pedophile who makes a you know sort of like indoctrinates a child into a relationship just do they what because as far as I know the majority of the groomers are cis men <laughs> yes yes exactly and like you have these headlines side by side with uh, more revelations about the Catholic Church and about the Baptist Church and other evangelical churches. And just like, seems always to be, you know, the real men in dresses who are assaulting children are the, you know, uh, bishops and the, you know, whatever you call them, priests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are those? I know, like, I follow this Instagram account of this, like, guy, and I, I need to stop. Not not because like what he's doing is is good. Basically, he goes on TikToks of like young girls, and he like pulls up the comments of creepy old men, mm-hmm. you know, like twelve year old girls, and then he pulls up the comments of like men being like beautiful, and then he like plasters their face, <laughs> really being like, nice. look, you see who the pedophiles are here. Yeah, it's such hypocrisy as if like we didn't live in a society that like. As if, like, the cis society didn't actively encourage some sort of pedophilia. You have all these things, like, what, straight men, you know, will make... What is it called, you know, when, like, they, like, creep on 17-year-old girls waiting for them to oh, turn 18? I There's like a Barely this. legal. It's something like this. Maybe nearly. Yeah. <laughs> when you're just, like, how can you look at yourself... We admire people like, I don't know, Mick Jagger, who's like, marries a 14-year-old as an yeah. adult. So only example I can think of, but I know there's so many more. I mean, like... Woody Allen. Woody, oh, Woody Allen. That's a whole nother, like, and holy shit. I was just reading about Scarlett Johansson has, like, stood by him through all of it. Scarlett Johansson is a garbage human. <laughs> I really hate her. <laughs> I mean, I don't know enough about her, but, like, when I she read that, I was like... Oh. Consistently makes the wrong choice. In just everything. I mean, I do that too, but like, yeah, I, I but try like, to do better. <laughs> I mean, I also make wrong choices, but I feel like my wrong choices are I decide that I'm going to eat the entire chocolate bar instead of not eating it. Whereas her choices are she's going to actively play an Asian character in a movie. Oh, that, yes, I forgot about that. Oh my mm-hmm. god. She also stood Ugh. by Roman Polanski, I think. I just feel like her wrong choices are very well, wrong choices. About that. All of the creepy, rapey men that she stands by start to bleed together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never got that. Is it Woody Allen? Is it Roman Polanski? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I'm really shocked by the n- number of, like, people in Hollywood who 
support Roman Polanski. I'm like, what is actually wrong with you? Yeah. People will be like, but he's a great artist. I'm like, I actually don't care. And I think that's completely irrelevant. He, no. Exactly. So he's a great artist, but like, who suffers for that? You know, it's like, because it's not them. Mm-hmm. So they don't give a shit. Yeah. And, and well, just setting the precedent that a man, if he's talented enough and has enough money and power that he can just do anything and get away with it. That is, I think, where the real damage comes to, because of course there are, you know, the women that he's hurt along the way, and that's inexcusable, but Hollywood's acceptance and you know support of people like that is what allows the culture to continue. I am curious about, like, how it felt transitioning, and maybe if, if you're comfortable speaking about this and telling us about the process and how that was for you, and also, like, how was your experience doing that in Germany? Yeah, so... For me, the bulk of the work was internal and emotional, overcoming shame, overcoming everything that had been built into me, you know, by society, by my experiences. And a lot of what I had to overcome, too, is like issues with self-love, self-acceptance. I mean, when you have this moment where you realize that you are different in this way that you are a woman i mean it's it's just wild and surreal and you look at everything that could happen in the next part of your life and you have these two branches of you know will i try and shove this down or will i take the plunge and risk a lot of things and actually i tried to shut it down for like six years or so like when i moved here shortly after i moved here i I kind of had my moment of realization and I experimented with it for a little while, like going to the clubs and stuff. But in the end, I was like, I can't, I can't, this is too, I'm, I'm too shameful. I'm too ashamed of, of this. And at that point, I met my partner and falling in love is something that can really fill this deep hole inside of you. But nothing can keep down your gender identity for very long. And so after, you know, a while it came back. And then I had to do this work again. And then there's also the work of like telling someone that you love and are so close to that there's going to be some big changes coming. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just this internal dealing with the shame for me. And I know a lot of people deal with that. Some people are are better um, in dealing with with self-esteem issues. And... Once you kind of accept that and say, I'm going to transition, some people take medicine first, they take hormones first, and then they come out once they've like, quote unquote, finished medically transitioning. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not mm. going to stay here for three years while, you know, waiting for my body to be acceptable enough. So I, I slowly went from being myself at home. This is right when the pandemic started. So I like started wearing eyeliner to meetings uh, on the um, on Zoom meetings, you know, mm-hmm. And shout out to Mara, who was like, girl, or something like that. You know, she noticed and she started this this coworker of mine and kind of affirmed it. And, you know, really baby steps with clothing, presentation, name, pronouns. And then when I was ready, I started hormones. And hormones, you know, there are some irreversible things. There are some non-irreversible things that can happen or that do happen. And so it is this kind of big, scary, huge thing. Like, And I knew that I wanted that from the moment that I figured myself out, but it's this, it's a big, scary thing. So it took me a, bit, a while to get to that point where I was ready. But then when I was ready, 
I did it, and um, like the German medical system. Yeah. Um, did you have to fax them? <laughs> no, almost. I mean, I am lucky slash not lucky to be privately insured here mm-hmm. because I didn't get accepted by the COSCA. I'll just skip skip some of that and go straight to uh, hormones. I mean, it is it's wonderful. It's very surreal. It's you know very intense. You know, your body as you know it begins to change again mm-hmm. and. You know, when you're like a teenager going through the first puberty, like, this is what's expected. This is like normal. There are systems in place. Your parents are there. The school's there to not tell you how to have sex and not tell you how to use condoms, but still. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, to tell you how to be abstinent. But, uh, you know, it's, it, on one hand, it's it's easier. But on the other hand, like, you've only been alive for less than 15 years and, like, your body's changing. Like, what the fuck? But on, uh, as an adult... It is so nice to be able to go through this mind mind blowing experience of changing your body with sort of the wisdom that comes from being alive for a few more years, you know, mm-hmm. and to really be able to get in touch more with your body and with your self in general as you change. Um, it's also very sweaty. <laughs> I'm very sweaty now. Um, I that's because partly like it, I'm basically. In this constant state of menopause, <laughs> my estrogen levels are too low all the time. Oh, um, but yeah, I mean, you, know, you should feel sorry for my partner who has to deal with uh, uh, sweaty sheets every morning. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it is surreal. I think would be the the, the strongest word mm-hmm. I would use to describe it. Is I mean, you're changing the very sort of like fabric of of the very like like the operating system of your whole body. It's like there's you know, testosterone and estrogen, and you can you can have your body, you can tell your body to change to the body yet more like the body it would have been had you been born with ovaries, you know? And mm-hmm. that's wild. I don't know. I don't know if that answers the question properly no. or not. Wild and surreal in, like, a good way or just in a, in a, in a I don't want to say neutral, but just, like, just wild, like neither negative nor positive, just... I would say there are a lot of great moments and there are a lot of very difficult moments. I mean, the great moments when you look in the mirror and you start to see that woman staring back at you, that's beautiful. And that's what, you know, this is so a part of what this is all about is being able to you know bring together your body and your mind. Um, but the other side is, you know, puberty is messy. It's hardcore. I mean, I know this is going to sound like a bit of a stereotype. But when I was in the first few months on estrogen, uh, I would just, I cried almost every day, but also I would like specifically start crying if I saw like a woman with her baby in the baby carriage get on the (laughs) S-Bahn and I would be like, you fucking bitch, you have this beautiful thing that I can never have. (laughs) You know, that I don't, I don't know if I want or I'm going to have kids anyway, you know, but like. The point was image this, you know, the archetype of like the maiden, the mother, the crone. Like I'm gonna go straight to crone, <laughs> but that's sort of the the emotional thing that you yeah, have yeah, there, yeah. you know. Which is also cool. Like you know, that was very messy and very difficult, and I was crying every single day for a period, and that was also not necessarily a bad thing. Like 
sometimes I would like prepare for it. Like I would get in the shower and put on Bjork and like turn the lights off and just cry. You know, oh. that was that was pretty sweet. Actually, Wait, it sounds pretty cathartic. It's great. Yeah, like, I'm like so I'm gonna do that when I get home. Like that sounds <laughs> yeah. great. Make some candles. Vespertine. <laughs> okay. So good. It's a good cry album. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and and therapy has also been extremely helpful. You know, I found a really great therapist who's a queer woman herself. Who yes. you know, like on her intake form, she's like, "What are your pronouns?" And, you know, and, and this is reflected in her therapy practices. So that's been very important for me. Except she's been on maternity leave for the past five months, and I'm very angry at her for taking her personal life. Unforgivable. More, uh, yeah, unforgivable. <laughs> unforgivable. I'm still gonna go back to her, but unforgivable. But unforgivable. Yeah. <laughs> So we usually end these episodes with like three things that people can do to be a better person. I want to be really mindful here because I obviously like don't want to demand that like trans women do educational labor for like cis women. But I'd be very curious to hear as a trans woman, what is one thing that you really wish cis women would do? Hmm. You don't have to answer that question if you're like, I don't have a response. Can we move on? I don't have a response yet, but I feel like I, I, I would like to answer that because there's so much I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't have anything too concrete, but like if you listener are out there and you're like, yeah, you know, in public, I, I publicly support trans people, you know, maybe I repost, you know, things on Instagram or whatever. But if you secretly are thinking like, I feel like there are a lot of people like that. I don't have any evidence, but I feel like it. Please just, I don't know, dig dig deep down and investigate that because we are so far beyond sexual determinism. We are so far beyond bioessentialism. You know, we do not need that anymore. And the question, I think I might have got this from ContraPoints, uh, who I know you're a big fan of. The question is not... How do we define what a woman is? You know, what is it? What is a woman? And, and are you a woman? Is, you, is your penis make you not a woman? Like whatever. That that shouldn't be the question. The question should be: Are there people out there who need something from us to 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 feel and be safer, and to be able to pursue happiness and fulfillment in their lives? And the question is yes. And mm. to talk about trans people, like yes, we do need to. We need more. <laughs> you just need more from. I don't know how to finish that, but yeah, we just, we just need, need more. more. We just need more. Yeah, I mean, and we need the hearts and minds of people to change worldwide, which is obviously something that doesn't happen overnight. So it's not like I expect things to get better overnight. But I just really want, if you have a trans person in your life, go out of your way to make them feel included as a member of the gender that they are. I, I had a friend who did this the wrong way. He would be like. If we were having a conversation and be like, oh yeah, and Maya, she said mm. this earlier and like really making a big deal of it. Just like more like little things, you know, like th think about the way that you treat your trans friends differently from cis friends of the same gender mm. and be aware of that and like think about how you can look. Yeah, that's lovely advice. Another thing I would add is um, I know people who, cis people who are afraid to meet and hang out with trans people because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing mm -hmm. and this is very understandable because you know if you look at the twitter discourse it's all like extreme responses to misgendering but 
I promise that like we are chill. We are mostly chill. Like not everyone in the world is chill, but like we're a lot more chill than we seem on Twitter. <laughs> if you misgender us, it's okay. Like we're going to gently correct you or you can gently correct yourself and don't make a big deal out of it. It's nothing to be afraid of. Like we, uh, we just want to be your friends and we want to be accepted and to be able to go pee in public. Thank you. <laughs> Are there any books, videos, movies, people, media, anything you would like to recommend? Yes. So we talked about Sean Fay earlier. Um, her book, the, Chan- the Transgender Issue, is fantastic. It is nonfiction discussing the issues that trans people face. It's got a heavy, a heavy focus on the UK. Rightly so, the UK needs it. But she also talks about stuff in the U.S. and really these issues spread to all corners of the world. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's pretty universal in the end. That book <laughs> made me very freaked out because she she talks a lot about things that might not be obvious that trans people face, like what's going to happen when a trans person uh, ends up in a retirement home and the be like, oh Christ, and you know, but if you like don't really. If you want a better view of like what's going on, what what trans people are dealing with politically, mm-hmm. that's a really good book, and it, it also puts to rest all turf ideology very well. Amazing, a great fiction book, one of the best books I think about trans people that I have read is "Detransition Baby" by Tori Peters. Mm-hmm. This is an amazing, beautiful sexy fun book about trans women living in new york and just going about their daily lives and one of them detransitions and accidentally has a baby with a cis woman and the three of them all try to raise the baby it's 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 a very strange uh, setting setup Mm -hmm. but the book is amazing and it really shows like i haven't felt seen in a way that that book makes me feel seen And also ContraPoints, someone that we're both a big fan of, but like specifically her videos about J.K. Rowling, about the gender critical movement, about autogynephilia are excellent and extremely eloquent, very well researched. A lot of the sort of discussion around J.K. Rowling is like, she's just like looking after women's rights, like what's the problem? And Natalie puts that to bed. She really does an excellent job of showing everything that's going on with with what yeah. Joanne says. And uh, I think that could be a great resource for people out there who are like, I don't really know what's going on. You know, for former Harry Potter fans, like, I was at the midnight releases, you know, it is very emotional yeah. for us who, I mean, we could get into a whole thing about why Harry Potter, in isolation, the book series itself is problematic, but I mean, for those of us who felt so let down and just, mm. you know, betrayed... Yeah. How did you feel? Did you see Daniel Radcliffe's response? I don't know. He wrote a really beautiful letter, or I mean, I interpreted it as beautiful. How did, yeah. how did you feel about that? No, he's great. I, I really like him. And it's, I'm just very thankful that one of the people involved with that cinematic universe, whatever we're calling mm. it, has come out so starkly. He and Emma Watson, and, and I think Rupert Grint also did a little, like a little blurb about it. <laughs> <laughs> to me, Rupert Grint kind of seems like the stoner friend in the corner. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe also recently did this thing where he talked to a bunch of trans non-binary youths, mm-hmm. youth, and the sort of headline or the blurb that he did about it was like, we just need to talk to these kids. Like, they're talked about in the media so often. Like, these kids are being pulled back and forth in the political, in the, the culture war, but like, no one ever talks to them. Yeah. And so I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, he's, he's doing great. And Emma Watson also. Uh, I'm happy about that. Yeah. 
Nice. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks it was for a pleasure. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.